Hi, I'm Paul Marsh and welcome to the third episode of the AFL Players Association's Captain Call podcast series, a series where I speak with the AFL club captains to learn about their differing leadership styles and how they navigate through the many challenges associated with their roles. In this episode, I caught up with the very impressive Jack Zeeble from the North Melbourne Footy Club. From what I took from this conversation, I'm not sure there is another current kangaroo that epitomises the shin bonus spirit quite like Jack, who wears the club's perception as an underdog like a badge of honour. In this discussion, we talked about his upbringing in Wodonga and being a country boy at heart, how his leadership style has shifted from a hands-on approach to a more of a delegation style as he's moved into his second year as a leader. Um, I was really impressed to hear that he'd been pu- he'd put up seven or eight of his teammates within his own house, and and the people that I spoke to around him were so impressed with Jack as a leader. He also spoke about how leadership in football clubs can be a lonely position. I walked away from the chat thinking that Jack is the sort of bloke you would want to play football for. So I hope you enjoyed the chat as much as what I did. Down at Arden Street this afternoon with the captain of the North Melbourne Footy Club, Jack Siebel. Jack, welcome. Thanks, Marshy. It's good to be here, mate. Well, good to have you down at North, I suppose. Yeah, that's a, it's a bit more palatial than it used to be back in the day. <laughs> um, we're obviously here to talk about uh, leadership and, and the North Melbourne Footy Club and, and your view on leadership. Before I get into that, I wouldn't mind just talking about Jack Siebel, the person, to start with. So you're from Wodonga, Victoria, right on the Victoria-New South Wales border boarded at Caulfield Grammar. Talk, talk a little bit about your upbringing. Yeah, I was um, a country boy at heart still, even though we live in the, in the city. There's a few of us still around. Um, but yeah, I grew up um, in town in Wodonga, um, primary school, high school, um, with parents and family close. I um, was lucky enough to, to get a scholarship to Caulfield Grammar um, for year 11 and 12, um, back in 2007, 2008, and um, moved out, to, out of home at 15 and down to boarding school um, for year 11 and 12 and found that was a really good experience to get out of I suppose the country bubble yeah um, if I hadn't gone to boarding school I probably would have quit school and started a trade and who knows where you might end up um, in the country circles but I think everything happens for a reason and it was um, it was a good little um, segue into to getting drafted and, and living in Melbourne so yep. it was a bit of a head start in a sense as well which was great. Footy was always the number one passion? It was I mean I I never really seriously contemplating it as a, as a career um, until probably 16 years of age, maybe. Yep. When you start making state sides and it becomes a lot more professional and you sort of understand that you're getting close to being drafted. Um, before that, I don't think any kid really knows what they want to do with the rest of their life. And yeah. I was probably just living in the moment and having fun with mates and school. And um, I didn't probably really try too hard training-wise until I got to the AFL, which is a little bit sad. I was at boarding school, was... Um, playing TAC Cup, like private school football took priority over TAC Cup, which is a bit weird that's set up, but that's the way it works. Um, So I only played in 2008, eight or nine games at TAC Cup and we won a flag that year. But when school footy finished, um, I didn't train throughout the week and just played on the weekend. So I was fair to say I was a little underdone when I got drafted. (laughs) It was a little bit um, behind the eight ball fitness wise. So um, if I had my time over again, I might have put a bit more time and effort into getting fitter and um, getting myself ready to play AFL footy. So a bit of a shock to the system starting your first pre-season? Yeah, it was. I remember my first session um, when we first got to the club uh, was at North and we had a time trial at Princess Park. We used to do a 3.2k yeah. time trial and um, I think we had eight drafted in 2008, the end of 2008. And um, we all sort of rocked up on the first day and Dean Lally just said to us, you know, it's not about great times, this first run. It's just about, you know, sort of having a crack and um, don't stress too much, get to know the boys and all that sort of thing. And I just remember... 
as you do in your first time trial in AFL club, trying your heart out. And I ran one of the worst times of all ever. And I remember Lades come straight up to me after the time trial was just like pretty much yelled at me and just said, what have we done? Wasted pick nine on someone who can't run. And it was a bit of an eye opener as your first day at AFL footy. And, and from there, it wasn't much easier that preseason or the, or the one after. Um, but 10 years in now, and I think it's getting a little bit easier, which is okay. Yeah, well, 10 years. So as of the weekend, 172 games. Um, it's obviously been a, a, a fantastic career that's now sort of culminated in the captaincy of the club. So this is your second year as, as, as the skipper here. What's been the highlight of your career so far? I think um, we made back-to-back prelims, I think it was 15, 14, 15, yep. maybe 15, 16, 14, 15. Yep. Yeah, I don't know 16, the, the year. Yeah. Anyway, we made um, back-to-back prelims. I think that's definitely a highlight. And playing finals um, and winning finals is the best feeling you can have as a footballer um i couldn't imagine playing in a grand final and winning a grand final i mean that's what we're all here to do yeah and hopefully one day we get that opportunity sooner rather than later but um as of now in our career in my career i think playing in those um, we played against essendon geelong um richmond all at the g in front of 65 and, and, and up, upwards of ninety thousand people at the g and winning those games was just the best mm. feeling possible yeah um, and that's why I think you front up week in, week out, is to try and replicate that feeling and try and get the opportunity to get back there again, um, which is outstanding. Talk, talk me through the, I, I suppose, getting so close on, on two occasions. And the club, did you play in the prelim finals in the sort of mid-2000s? I think you guys got... Yeah, the club, I think, 07 made yeah. a prelim. And, and by reports, I wasn't a North Melbourne supporter before I was drafted. Um, the list probably wasn't as talented as most. Yeah. Um, so the coaching and the you know, the desire of the players to get themselves into a preliminary final was an outstanding effort because I think before, in 2006, they might have finished 14th or 15th as well. I think um, Lockie Hanson might have been a number three draft pick that year and um, they managed to finish top four the next year and make a prelim um, when with the facilities North had at the time. Like they were behind the eight ball in a lot of aspects and I think that just shows, you know, the type of attitude this club has adopted over a long period of time. and never used any of that as an excuse for performance, yeah. which which I, I find myself really lucky to be at a club like this because uh, I can sort of draw a lot of parallels to my upbringing and um, my family to, to what North Melbourne is and what it stands for, yeah. um, which is a really family-orientated club and, and a club that um, you know competes hard no matter what the situation is, and, and that's what all we want to do as footballers. Yeah. So getting so close to, to the ultimate... Um, I guess, what are the feelings that, you, that make you hungry to, to go further or is that not actually possible? And what are, what are the feelings that you get knocked out in a prelim final? Yeah, there's, I mean, uh, both years we made prelims, we finished, I think, seventh and eighth. So we were given no chance to make sort of yeah. the second week of finals alone the first. So we both years we just rode a wave of emotion and, um, you know, we win the first final. I think one year we come from 30, 40 points down to, to win the first final and after the game the feelings you have are just it's all worth it everything you go through in your whole footy career it's, it's all worth it and um, getting to a prelim um, thinking you won't win away from a grand final without thinking too far ahead you don't really think about that until after the game when whether you won or lost and we've lost so yeah. sort of you scratch your head and think geez if we ever won that game but one year Sydney belted us in a prelim so we were probably <laughs> weren't a chance to win that game um, the year after, I think we played West Coast over there and we were up by 30-odd points halfway through the second quarter and we were a chance and, and got rolled. That one hurt a lot more because I felt we had a team that year that could have really challenged um, to win the flag and to get so close and think you're one win away from, from achieving the holy grail of football. 
um, or given a chance, an opportunity to, to achieve that is it was very heartbreaking. But but yeah, it does make you quite hungry to to get back there. And and now at the moment, the current position our footy club's in um, with the position of the list and um, some guys that have, have exited over the last probably year or two. Um, it just makes us senior guys and older guys and in guys in leadership positions um, a little bit more hungry to get these younger guys up to scratch quicker and try and get back there as soon as possible because you know what the feelings are like mm. when you get there. So I was going to ask you about that. It's obviously been a big period of transition for the club and you know, you've been here from you know, through a big journey here with some really senior players moving on. Now you're, you're the main man. How, how do you guys deal with you know, going from contending so, so recently to now almost this sort of rebuild phase, although you're, you're probably um, performing above expectations early in the season? How do you actually approach that as the captain of the footy club? I think it's, it's actually quite simple. I mean, as sad as, it, as sad as it is to see some of your great mates leave the footy club over the last few years, I mean, like two years ago, I think we lost Boomer and Drewy and, and Michael Frito, Nicky Dale, um, even last year with, with Sam Gibson um, moving on um, and a few others, like Lockie Hansen, who's been here my whole career, um, guys like that. The list changes so much each year, and I think you just, as a current day footballer, you've got to understand that that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I think the minimum you've got to turn over is four every year. Yep. And I think we've had upwards of six, eight a year for the last two or three years. So um, that's the reality of playing modern day football is the list turns over so much. But for us, it's it's about understanding the path we're on and what steps are required between now and, and, and our goals and how do we get those steps done. And I know um, some of the young guys come in I remember being a young player. You sort of don't understand the path that the club's on straight away. You, you're more, you know, uh, encapsulated in, in what you're doing as an individual and how you can get a game for your club as a young guy and how you can keep your spot in the team. And for us as leaders, it's more around how we can get the whole team to do what's required as a team and each individual in that team to do what's required for the team to get the job done on the weekend. And um, at the moment, I think our young guys are really open to that, which is outstanding. And some results we've had this year have been off the back of not individual performance, but team performances. And I think the way we're going to get to where we want to go is playing a brand of football that's going to stack up against really good teams. And that's built off the back of teamwork. And I think that's probably the biggest thing we drive as a leadership group. And, and me as captain is that, you know, there's 22 guys that take the field each week. But you're only as you know strong as your weakest link in a sense that um, everyone has to be playing their role for the team to get the job done. And if we have one guy that's not doing it, we're going to yeah. struggle to win. And I'm going to come back to sort of you know how you go about building that the the sense of team. I wouldn't mind obviously the purpose of what we're doing today is to talk about leadership. And as I said earlier, you're into your second year now as a North Melbourne captain. What's the biggest lesson you learned in year one? Um, I think. Understanding you don't need to have all the answers as captain. Yeah. Um, not that I did think I had all the answers, but I, I just I was lucky because Andrew Swallow was here as well for a year, um, transitioned out of the role, and, and I got the role last year. And the first five weeks of our footy season last year, we didn't win a game. Yeah. And it was quite challenging because we'd lost a few senior players, um, and we had a lot of young guys come in, really excited to play senior footy. And then we actually played some really good footy in the first five rounds last year as well, but didn't quite get the job done. Yeah. And it was almost like banging your head against the brick wall because you felt like each week you'd come in and say, look, boys, we all played really well. Like we actually did. We, Like Geelong, we got beaten by three points. Yeah. And, and you say, like, we pushed Geelong to three points. We're up by 20 points with 10 minutes to go and we lost. Like we're doing 95% right. And then the next week we'd play Fremantle over there and 
same thing, got beaten by three more points. And it's like you feel like you're telling them, young guys, that they're doing a lot right without getting the result. Yeah. And how long can this go on before they don't believe it, <laughs> in a sense? So having that as a challenge and and knowing that, you know, we are doing a lot right but not quite getting the results, keeping guys motivated was a huge challenge as a leadership group but, but for me as captain as well and then not knowing when the next win's going to come, like that was that was a big challenge um, for me and um, knowing that the processes we had in place were right but you do question it at times as well and to have the vulnerability to, to ask, are we on the right track? Um, I think takes a lot of courage to do um, and that's something that I reckon I learned in my first year is that you don't, I don't need to have all the answers. Yeah. The leadership group doesn't have to have all the answers. The coaches don't have to have all the answers and you actually empower your teammates more by asking them as well. So, and how do you, how do you find they respond to that? Are they then uh, are they then coming forth with what they think the answers are? One hundred percent. And I think that we just spoke briefly about building a sense of team and, and how you, you create that environment. You know, is is it is the players' team? It's not Brad Scott's team and the captain's team, yep. the leadership group's team. It's it's everyone who's who's involved. We're all part of a group that's trying to achieve something. And if you give nothing to the to the guys who play their role and don't give them any input whatsoever how are they going to buy into what they want to do mm. so so here i think we ask questions all the time of, of what do you guys think about this about that um there's times we have to make decisions no yeah. doubt and you have to tell them what to do um but but we're pretty inclusive in the fact that i think it's important that everyone understands why we're doing what we're doing and that for that reason they can buy into it and understand it and that's going to help them buy into it and move it forward and help improve it as well can i continue on with that it- so the, the youngest guys in the team or in, in any organisation are often the ones that will, will probably say the least. Is that what you find in a footy club or is this, this culture and environment that you created allowing you to bring out in the young guys whatever they may be thinking as well? And if so, how do you do that? It's a challenge. It really is because forever in a footy culture, it's been, you know, sit down, shut up in your first few years and, yeah. and do what you're um, told and don't speak until you're spoken to sort of environment and and that, that that's true to, to, in a sense, but you know we're trying to build an environment that um, is free for everyone to be able to speak their mind. Um, and we've got different things um, in place to help younger guys voice their opinions. And but but a lot of the younger guys don't know what they don't know. Yeah. And guys who come in and play senior footy straight away are guys who have been fast tracked in taking their own um, football destiny in their own hands and, and really deciding to understand what they need to do for the team, their role, how they get that done and fast track that learning straight away. And if they're not sure, they ask questions. Mm-hmm. So we do a lot of work with our younger guys and pair them up. Like for example, Luke Davis Uniac is our first year, first draft pick this year. Yep. Um, he's a guy who played round one in his first year, which is a great achievement in itself. But he did a lot of learning throughout the preseason on how we play because coming from under 18s to, to senior footy, there's so many changes. Um, we pair him up with like Ben Cunnington as an inside midfielder yep. and do a lot of like vision with him, a lot of training uh, work out on the ground with him as well uh, and learn from one of the best inside midfielders in the comp, which is outstanding. But he's also got to have that drive for himself to understand, I need to get to that level and how do I do that? I need to work hard. And he doesn't have to speak up in meetings all the time, but if he's got an issue or he's unsure, he'll turn to Cunners or to myself or to, to anyone and just say quietly on the side, like, I'm not sure about that. How do, yeah. I, how do I go about that? Which is, I think most of our young guys would be pretty comfortable doing that here, which is, which is really exciting. Mm. 
So that would be a big change from when you started, I'd imagine, in terms of the young guys being actually confident enough in the environment to um, to do that. So that's that's going to come from leadership. That's going to come from coaches and captains, senior players, I'd imagine, really fostering that. It does. And yeah. it's also, I reckon, a little bit more generational as well. I mean, yeah. kids these days, when, when, when I started and before I started, the junior programs were not what they are there, what they are now. The level of knowledge these guys come into the game with now is far greater than what it was 10 years ago. Yeah. And the preparation they've had, like some guys come in and they're, we've had a, like a couple of our first year boys are huge. Like they're ready to go and they're 18. It's amazing. Yeah. Whereas when I first started, I remember I got drafted with Sammy Wright and he weighed about 68 kilos and was like a twig. <laughs> it would have taken him four years in the gym to put on enough weight to even step foot on an AFL footy field. Yeah. Um, but these guys have a lot more football knowledge. Um, but it, you're right, it is about creating the right environment to keep everyone comfortable to be able to speak what they, um, what they think at the right time and, and if they're not sure and they're unsure about what their role is for the team then they're comfortable to ask someone a coach a player anyone mm. so they can get it done yeah in a lot of ways this is more a comment than a question but in a lot of ways you know the football club environments now are more advanced than what you're seeing in business in this respect the real empowerment um, the trick giving everyone a voice I think it's you know, it's a credit to the industry and, and the direction that it has gone from what was probably a pretty prehistoric model as you know five to ten years ago in many respects we are we're also quite lucky that if you were to look at the afl football list as a business all of our employees are highly motivated yeah there's not a lot of guys who come here and cash a check and go home yeah um, a lot of our guys are self-driven uh, really keen to learn get better um like internally motivated to to improve themselves as players and as people um, some guys aren't yeah but the majority i would say uh, are pretty self-starters in that in that sense um, which makes it a job a lot easier as as leaders and as guys who um, set the environment and platform for the young guys these guys are just eager to learn they just want to they just want to ask questions they just want to learn um, so without that i mean it would be a challenge to try and develop people who don't want to develop yeah. in a sense which I'm, I'm sure a lot of businesses have that issue because people come in don't enjoy their job but they've got to pay their mortgage mm. and that's the way their business works and you understand that their performance not might not be great but they're not into their job 100 percent. whereas at football majority of guys are fully invested in what we're doing which yeah. is outstanding and and it's a bit of a privilege to work in an environment like that because um it would be such a challenge to to get a football team of 44 individuals who aren't invested trying to get them on the same page that would yeah. be a tough tough job you got that ahead of you in your post football career life, <laughs> <I reckon. laughs> maybe one day um i i did ask you what your biggest lesson was in in year one i actually wouldn't mind asking you a related question which is is there anything you did in year one that if you had your time again you'd do differently as a leader um i think Honestly, reckon I'll probably delegate a little bit more to tell the truth. I was pretty keen to be hands-on with everything in every aspect and, and help everyone I could. Um, realistically, that probably wasn't the, the right way of going about it. Um, I don't think I said no to anyone in the first year for anything. Yeah. And, that, and you get a lot of requests as an AFL captain of an AFL team from media to um, sponsorship to like any division of our footy club that, that wants a hand, whether it be an appearance, you know, a, a, a video clip or a, a media interview or whatever it might be, I sort of just said yes to a whole lot of things that probably was too much. Yeah. Um, and I didn't probably didn't uh, lean on my fellow leaders enough in that instance, whereas this year I, I really 
understood what the first year was like and how much the workload was and tried to really understand that you know the guys who are next to me are willing to help and they can do a bit more as well yeah. um, and give a bit more control to them to be able to, to do a bit more as well so I think I would have probably tried to learn that a little bit quicker last year if I had my time again that's for sure is that just Jack Zebel the person or is that was that a deliberate because I'm going to share with you in a minute some feedback I've got from some of your teammates about you all pretty good yeah. but that certainly has come out about you as um, the type of person that you are yeah, it probably is, and I think um, having a chat with a few people at the football club and just the transition from where we were as a football club to where we're going with with um, the list changes and and what we're doing, um, building to the future. I, I understood that a lot of messaging and stuff had to be done as well, and um, as captain, you sort of and the coach Brad and myself sort of lead from the front in that yeah. in that um, aspect, but. Um, learning to say no to certain people is hard and that's something that I've developed over time yeah. that you learn you have to do um, politely and respectfully obviously but uh, I like to help people as much as I can as a person and that's probably one of my, my strengths as a leader as well yeah I'm going to share this um, some of this feedback I think you know the, the type of things I got from, from your teammates were that you're a real lead by example leader particularly on the field um, but off the field you're a really caring leader your strengths are your ability to create a unified group form great connections with everyone as people um, the boys love your on field toughness um, he's a sort of jump on my back type of leader steps up in the big moments um, but they love your ability to make make you feel valued off the field it was actually shared with me that you've had seven or eight different players actually stay with your house in the last year uh, and you were always looking out for, for, for everyone and you're always willing to help so that's really the the positive stuff that the, the your guys are saying about how does that sort of land with you it's nice i mean not all it's, it's, it's leadership in football clubs is sometimes a lonely position like yeah. you, you want a lot of feedback sometimes positive but more negative stuff you do want um and sometimes you struggle to get that from your peers yeah um so it's it's good to hear that some guys like the job I'm doing. So yeah. I've got my captaincy for the second year, so I must have done something right. Um, <laughs> but it's more important that I understand what my weaknesses are. And we've done a lot of work on, on identifying them and making sure you can work on them. But you can't forget your strengths as well and you have yeah. to keep keep them sharp. I mean, look at the best players in the competition. What are their strengths? I'm sure they work on their strengths just as much as they do their weaknesses and keep them their strengths. So nothing's different in leadership. And um, a lot of people look in externally from football clubs and see leaders and just think it happens naturally but a lot of guys do a lot of work on their leadership away from footy and behind closed doors and I know um, our footy club holds leadership at a really high level uh, in, in high regard sorry at a really high level and, and we do a lot of work as a leadership group um, trying to improve our skills and weaknesses but we've also got over half of our list in some sort of leadership program as well trying to develop their skills and, yeah, and the next wave of leaders to help direct our footy club where we want it to go so um, it is definitely something that I think comes somewhat natural to some people more than others but it is a skill that can be learned and can be improved 100% so can, can I ask you and you may not want to answer this but can I ask you you know what some of your weaknesses are and then how you go about um, I guess improving there and you, if you don't want to get into the detail like I'm really interested in the process of how you get that feedback and then how you act upon it yeah um, well we get a lot of feedback uh, from the coaches we uh, do a bit of work with um, we've also got a leadership advisor Benny Robbins who um, comes in and, and runs our meetings every week yep. um, he's a psychologist I think by trade yep. um, so he understands how 
behavioural stuff works and he's really good for us to, to be able to help shape conversations and, and directions and, and what we want to get out of that. And um, he's done some leadership uh, feedback stuff from the playing group and some influential people around our footy club and, and given that to us to, to be able to um, draw strengths and weaknesses, which is good. Um, we actually haven't got those results back as of yet, yep. but we've done some other stuff in the past um, that's helped us with our strengths and weaknesses. And um, while weaknesses probably... I'll share uh, one or two. I mean, as I said before, um, being able to delegate a little bit yep. is probably one. Um, two, you want to be a captain uh, that performs consistently um, and not doing too much to try and get things going. Like yep. uh, when things aren't going well, you almost try too hard yeah. um, sometimes, which probably sounds silly. In, um, but making sure that you know you're always doing what you need to do all the time, um, and I think something that we've all worked on in the past is building relationships with everyone in our team. I mean, 44 players is a lot of players to be able to be across. I mean, you probably as sad as it sounds, you don't speak to all the 44 guys in your team every day. Um, so naturally, you connect with a lot of guys very well other guys you have to work with and I think that's something I've tried to improve over my 10 years at, at the footy club is trying to you know connect with all players and not just the guys you naturally connect with as well yeah um, so how and, do you I mean that's that's a question I've actually asked all the captains that I've spoken to is how do you do that because that's a lot of that's a lot of people and there'd be completely different age groups within that and very different people. How, how do you go about doing that? It's, Apart from having people live at your house with you. Yeah, well, that helps if you've got a few spare rooms. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you have guys house. over for dinner. Away from the footy club's always a good one because you get to, to know them a little bit more away from footy. Yeah. But even just, I mean, um, token things like just having a 10-second chat in the hallway um, can be quite in, like can quite ha have quite an impact on a young guy. Mm. Um, if you think about when I first started playing AFL footy and... Adam Simpson was our captain and he's a great fella but um, I remember walking past in the hallway and he just stopped and just had a chat with me for 30 seconds like how are you going how's your game going what do you need help with how can I help you and I just walked away from that just thinking Jesus Christ he actually really cares Yeah. so the impact you can have in a short amount of time you don't need to go and spend two hours with every bloke once a week to, to build a strong relationship and that's probably got to be pretty impossible to do but if you can just make you know short um, impactful you know, you put yourself out there as well for guys that you might not have a lot in common with and they'll really appreciate that and see you for who you are. And, and I've got genuine interest in all of our players at our footy club and the interest doesn't only lie at our footy club but what they want to do away from footy as well. And I think that helps. If you've got a genuine interest in people and you're good with relationships and building relationships and that comes a little bit more naturally. Yeah. And I think there's a general comment that, you know, you don't get elected into these type of roles unless you, you know, that'd be one of your traits. So, but it is a challenge. And, you know, I reckon some people would listen to what you've just said and, and think, but aren't they hanging out with each other all day, every day? And it just doesn't work that way these days in a footy club, does it? No, it doesn't. It's, it's a little bit segregated at times. And especially in season, like we split our groups into AFL and VFL squads. And so there's some guys who might play the majority of the year in the VFL. Yeah. Um, they feel a little bit ostracised. I mean, they're a little bit away from the main group. So I try and make myself available to those guys as much as possible because our team's going to be better off if we have, you know, 20 blokes knocking the door down for selection. So how can I help, you know, some inside midfielders who play similar positions to me get their game better so I'll sit with them throughout the week and, and help them 
do what they need to do, improve, and um, even just see how they're going from a welfare point of view. And we've we've designed a few things throughout our footy club to help. Excuse me, um, with welfare and just making sure guys are going okay. Certain groups and and um, forums for people to be able to discuss their whatever they're feeling. Um, yeah. So that's really helpful as well, and, and it allows us as leaders to to be also be across everyone on the list, which is really important, I think, because there's so many. So you talked before about Ben Cunnington's mentoring of um, of Luke. Do you is this are there players that you actually mentor, or do you take a sort of broader view of the whole group? I think probably a broader view. There's not like even Ben. <laughs> wouldn't say I mentor Luke Davis Uniac, but yeah. he just say he just grab him and just I mean help him when he can. Yeah. Um, and I think our senior players are really good with that. And I reckon Jamie McMillan's probably the best. Um, as a halfback flanker uh, in our footy team and a leader, he grabs a lot of young guys, first, second, third, fourth year guys, and and Robbie Tarrant the same with the keys. Um, and actually probably well, Benny Brown does it. All of our senior guys do yeah, it. It's, and it's, it's not. Ex- it's not expected them to do that, but they're just, you know, helping younger people get better. They which care. is yeah, they care. And yeah. that's that's what you want to base I mean, your football club around. If if people care about each other, mm. it's gonna be a great environment. And yeah. and that's probably been a differentiating factor of North Melbourne, I think, over the years, is that people inside the footy club have genuine care for each other. Yeah. And it shows on field. Mm. Um, when you might not have the most talented team, list, facilities, you know, the list goes on. But they've always been competitive north for however long they've been in the competition, which has been, you know, um, something that we want to continue. Yeah. And we wanted to, to sort of get back up the top end of the ladder. And that's built on the fact that, you know, everyone cares in the footy club, which is great. Do you have a sense of where you think that's come from? Yeah. I th- the shimbo and the spirit's thrown around a lot for our footy club. And that's something that we try and drive as a leadership group. It's one of our tools to, to sort of try and bind everyone together a little bit. Um, but it probably comes from, you know, North probably been a bit of a poor club back in the day. Yeah. It's the area of North Melbourne was a little bit socio-economically lower than than some areas, um, and they've competed really hard and strongly for a number of years. Since success through the seventies was quiet through the eighties. Success in the nineties, being quiet in two thousand and and a couple of prelims a few years ago, but no grand final since the nineties. Mm. I think um, we North's never been sort of handed anything they've earned everything they've got and, yeah. and even to this day people don't expect much out of north ever yeah. um and that that as much as you say you know it doesn't affect anyone it doesn't um impact anyone it it, it sort of uses as a, a bit of a i don't know how you say like a motivating factor a little bit mm. in, in subconscious motivation yeah um of, of people don't respect the footy club maybe um but we know that, you know, when you play North, we want to build a brand that when you play North that, you know, it's going to be a hard day. And I think our young guys are pretty keen to, to keep building that and yeah. um, hopefully we can, can do that in the future. Have you seen guys come into this club without naming any names that maybe didn't fit that sort of the, the North Melbourne culture or brand or whatever you want to call it, but you've been able to convert them into um, into that? I'll be, I'll be interested to know if you have and if so, you know, how do you go about it? Yeah, I, there's probably a couple of guys who have come in from different clubs. I'll use names like Sean Higgins, Jared White, um, Nick Del Sano, um, are three guys we got from from other clubs. Really senior guys, really yeah. really quality players. Um, not that they didn't fit North Melbourne at all, but they just come from completely different backgrounds. Mm. Um, I mean, Jared White's a great example. Like he's 
35, I think, this year, and I think he's playing career best footy. <laughs> um, he's really bought into what North Melbourne stands for. I think he really enjoys his time here. He spent 12, 10, 12 years at Carlton, yep. played some outstanding football there as well, but, but did he get the best out of himself there? Probably not. Yep. Um, but at North, I would have said that he's played some of his best football. Um, and it's because I think, you know, the coach for a start has given him um, the ability to, to get the best out of himself and, yep. and play him in positions that he likes. Um, but two, the culture around the club and, and he enjoys coming to work every day, which makes a, a big difference. Mm. And guys like Nick Dalsano and, and Sean Higgins, I mean, they both love their time at the club. Yep. Um, coming from two completely different teams, uh, and I don't know, Higo um, thoroughly enjoys the club and he's been put into a leadership position pretty much straight away as well because of the esteem we hold him in and how much of a quality player he is. But he's got some outstanding skills and I think his personality fits north to a T, yeah. uh, which has been a great transition for him. Um, I, I mentioned you know, mentoring before in terms of you know, potentially who you may be mentoring. Do you have anyone that you go to? Like, I, most leaders would have some people that they would lean on for advice, for, you know critiquing feedback etc what, what about you yeah i think for us it's probably our coach to be truthful like for me um brad brad and i have a lot of chats about a lot of different things and um he's a guy that i really enjoy i love brad because he's got all the players backs and he'll have my back to the to the nth degree no matter what but he's not afraid to tell you what you're doing wrong as yeah. well and which is a great skill yeah. so that's fantastic and and probably another one is um, my old man, um, someone I looked up to my whole life, and although he's limited in football knowledge, I think he's um, the way he uh, not judges character, but but builds character and just his philosophies throughout life has probably had a big impact on the way I was being brought up and the person I am today. And yeah. I think that's probably a lot of the reason why I'm in the position I'm into. I'm in in the leadership position, and um, that's something that I'll look to keep close to me and um, improve that as well. Mm. So the traits that your teammates, you know, spoke to me about, which I spoke to you about, that's that's family-driven, do you think? Oh, I think so, yeah. A lot, of, a lot of it's brought in how you brought up and um, being from the country, uh, my old man was pretty hard on me, yeah. <laughs> fair to say. But that, that, that all adds to it, I suppose. Yeah. And I knew that he loved me the whole way through, which is great. But he, he um, was always big on never judging anyone until you know them. Um, which rings out today for me. Yeah. Uh, like people have opinions on people and tell you how shit of a bloke a person is, but until I've met him, I wouldn't judge him. Yeah. Um, and if someone come to our football club with the worst, uh, you know, background ever, like I wouldn't judge them until until you've made your own opinion. So that's that's an interesting point and a really good sort of value. There are times in footy clubs where you, your club, let's say, will be looking to recruit a player from another club who may not have. A great reputation would you get involved in in a decision around that or feed any sort of input into a decision like that and if so how would you go about it yeah i think so um or it's been well publicized we've been after a few players the last couple of years yeah. um and we were involved in that as players but i think that's not nothing's different around the league um, yeah. essentially like our club's pretty good they'll ask for opinions from the senior guys because it's not the coach's team it's not the list manager's team it's it's all of our teams yeah. from the list manager to the coach to all the players and essentially if they're going to recruit a, a player from another club he's going to have to to play with us and you have to fight side by side so our opinions i would have thought that well they do have a fair sway in in the recruiting process and our club's been really good uh, at involving us and um although there's some negative 
background connotations involved with some players um, unless you sort of know them previously or um, trust opinions of other people. I mean, you still have to make your own opinion up. Mm. So um, how would you do that with a player that you've not played with and... Don't know. Don't know. Uh, you probably have to meet them yeah. and get to know them a little yeah. bit at yeah. least um, before you... And I mean, meet and greets happen all the time yeah. for player, between players from different clubs who don't know them. Yeah. Um, so for that purpose or just... I think so. And, yeah. and yeah. To, to ease... I mean, not every person's got questionable yeah. um, ethics behind them when they're getting recruited, yeah, yeah. but it's more just to, to see what, what happens at the club from a player's point of view as well. Um, if I was to move clubs, it would be a nerve-wracking experience, so you'd have a few questions to be asked. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, those meet and greets would, would probably answer a few of those as well. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that, that the AFL clubs do, um, you know, in sort of great detail is review games week after week you know when you when you put this in the business context i mean the amount of reviewing that goes on in this industry compared to normal business is incredible uh, and i think there's there's something that business can learn from this um how do you go about that so you, you know you win games you lose games how do you keep a consistency there so that there is something to be learnt after every review you got a smile on your face to, you've probably been through a review today have you well, we have actually yeah <laughs> and we lost on the weekend so it was good <laughs> um well, we've got a bit of a philosophy at North and it comes from our coach that nothing's ever as good as it seems yep. and nothing is ever as bad as it seems. And and that's a pretty leveled approach to football. I mean, what's a good uh, analogy for that this year? I mean, Collingwood take. Collingwood for the first two rounds were didn't perform very well, were written off. Buck's job was on the table. He yep. was getting sacked. And then the next three rounds they win. All of a sudden they're a top four team and they're going to win the premiership. So external noise is something that is challenging for this purpose and for young guys who uh, are impressionable, I suppose, and haven't been in the environment for a long period of time can be influenced by that. It's, it's important that they understand what's important and that is the review process of a game and understanding what needs to be done to improve our football team and what needs to be done for you individually to improve. And we go very in-depth. Every AFL club will be the same, but what we have, like, if, if you're a midfielder for North Melbourne, you'll have your individual review um, you'll watch edits with, with, with who? Your, your, uh, line coach? your line coach. We've got two. We've got a, a midfield transition coach, Darren Crocker, and a stoppage coach, Jared Moore. So you'll sit down with, with Jared Moore for, for half an hour and go through all the stoppages you're at, um, what you did well, what you need to improve on for the next week. Then you'll go and sit with Darren Crocker for probably 20 minutes as well, and he'll have some running patterns, some transition stuff that you did well, not too well um, throughout the game. Uh, you'll then move into a line meeting, which is a whole midfield group. So what the group did well and didn't yeah. do well. And then you'll move into a team meeting as well. What the team did well and what the team didn't do well. So you'll have um, a heap of stats. You know what stats are like in footy these yeah. days. But the coaches are really good at breaking it down for footballers into the simplest form of what's important, what do you need to know that's going to help us next week now. Mm. And on the weekend, it might be, you know, you let the opposition have a heap more uncontested marks and that was a focus for us not, not to let them do that. Um, this is why. And Brad's really, really, really good at showing evidence on yep. why things unfolded the way they did and how we can stop them from doing that next time. Um, and I think that's important. Visual examples and, and the other challenge is 44 players in the list, not everybody learns the same. So some guys learn by you telling them other guys learn by seeing it on the tv screen other guys learn by doing it out on the ground and trying to encapsulate yep. that for everyone is by far the biggest challenge for coaches in the modern day um 
and how complex game plans are these days and how much goes into it, this is why it's a full-time job is mm. because there is a lot of in-depth stuff that gets done and a lot of young guys don't get it the first time. They don't get it the second time or the third time. They've got to go through it four, five, six, seven times before they get it and then they've got to repeat that for a year, two years before they know it. They're in five years and it becomes second nature. Mm. Um, that's why it's, it's awesome to see young guys who come in and play their role so well straight away I just think it's 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 amazing because they've got so much learning to do in the first six months they're in the game and it's probably all so foreign to them. And for them to be able to pick that up and still play footy and do it well, it's it's awesome to see some of those guys that come straight in mm, and do that really that, that's, well. That's amazing insight. I actually want to pick up two things from what you've just said. First one is, and I reckon we all, you know, we have this um, challenge at the PA is when we come and talk to you guys is exactly what you've described. How do we communicate to a bunch of players that have completely different sort of learning methods um so you know if you've got any insight you can give us in terms of how best to communicate to a group of 18 to 30 in your case 35 year olds um and, and get your message through in as clear a way as possible yeah it's 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 a challenge um trying to keep players engaged consistently is a, is a, is a great challenge and footy clubs um as you know going through meetings of you'll have our footy meetings could go for four hours. Yep. They've got that much stuff to go through. But really, it's simplifying the messages as best as possible and trying to keep your audience engaged for as long as possible. Um, and I think, I don't know the exact stats, but the psychologists would have scientific time length of an 18-year-old kid, how long he's engaged for. It's probably not real long. <laughs> so that's the challenge of, of how do you keep him engaged? And, and like Brad's really good at it. He'll just drop halfway through a meeting, he'll drop a little gag or a joke or something like that just to yeah. keep everyone engaged. Um, and half the guys don't even get it because they're not engaged because yeah. they're sort of drifted out of it for a little bit. So it's a good little um, segue to try and keep people, you know, sort of involved and um, but also to, to be able to keep the guys interacting throughout the meeting as well, yeah. I think it's a big one. Yeah. If you just stand up and talk to 40 guys for an hour straight, there'll be a few blokes nodding off. Yeah. But if, if it's engaging, if guys are having to answer questions, give their thoughts, give their opinions consistently, um, it's a dual purpose. They feel more involved in the meeting and they feel like they're having more input into the way we want to play and perform and and. and get the result on the weekend but they're also learning a lot more I would have thought as well because yeah, they're engaged yeah. in the meeting and actually taking it all in the, the second sort of question I was going to ask you is I, I don't think the general public would have a real sense of the difficulty in, in teaching a young player I guess your game plan and, and what's expected so you talked about your admiration for a young kid being able to come in and actually play straight away because of all the complexities can you give us a bit of an insight into how much is actually involved in you know we see what they do on the field but how much is involved in getting ready to do that yeah it's 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 quite funny because um the general public see football as two week two hours a week yeah. that's a saturday afternoon or a saturday night or a sunday whenever the boys play and and they just assume i don't know what they think we do throughout the week some people it's quite funny that is they sit in the grandstand and just tell you to kick the ball long. <laughs> but we've decided this week we're not kicking the ball long because Ben McAvoy is sitting down the line and he's a really good mark and he'll just chop it off all day. Um, but for young guys to come in from the under-18s and the amount of work they have to do is is phenomenal. I mean, the pre-season physical work is hard enough, but throughout the time they're drafted, I think, that when's the draft day? Like 19th or 20th of November? Yeah, around late November. Late November. So they've got essentially a month of training before Christmas yep. the break is two three weeks over Christmas then they'll have two and a half three weeks in January 
the month of February and the end of Feb, you start playing games. So you've, you've got, what, two and a half months to learn a game plan that takes sometimes three to four years to be ingrained in, in senior players. Um, and a lot of young guys struggle to do it. And that's why I've got admiration for guys who come in and play straight away because um, dealing with the increase in training load is one thing. I remember in my first year, all I did was train, eat and sleep for three <laughs> months straight in pre-season. That's all you did is you get home from training, go straight for dinner, straight to bed at seven o'clock, wake up in the morning, do it all again and do that for three months. And it was tough. And then trying to take, I mean, the young guys at our club do a lot of extra meetings and educational sessions with a lot of vision um, try and instill them, you know, our offensive principles, our defensive principles, our stoppage principles, structures, yep. um, kicking structures, kicking defense structures, center bounce structures, forward 50, defensive 50 structures. It's all different. It's all stuff they need to know. Yep. Um, and as senior players, you probably take it for granted because you've done it for so long. But these guys have under 18 level because they're the best player on the team. They just go out and play footy mm. and play on pure instinct yep. at the purest form, which is great to watch. But it's a shock to the system when they get to the AFL and all of a sudden they're not the best player on the team and they don't play so much on pure instinct although the instinct is involved but they have to go and set up in this position at a stoppage because this is what the team requires um and that that sometimes can be a challenge and yeah it's it's, it's awesome to see a young kid come in with the right attitude learn it and do all the hard work to learn it and get the reward of playing first yeah. game and see them out on the ground executing it. It's it's awesome to see. So for for you, just to extend that question just for a little bit longer, you're you'll be thinking as much about where I need to be at every part sort of moment of the game. Like it's that specific that okay, if the ball is coming into the forward line, you're playing forward. This is where I need to be standing. Now where where is the line between I've you know premeditated to be here versus the, the instinct taking over? Yeah, there's. There is a little bit of – it's week to week a lot as well because things do change in structures, um, but we just call them starting positions. Yeah. So, excuse me. At this stoppage, the starting position will be here. The reason behind that, and I, and I think we're really big on understanding why you do things. So, you know, if the opposition are playing six forwards ahead of the ball, why would they be doing that? And you've got a reason for that. They want to do this, this, and this. Okay, so how are we going to combat that? And you understand the reason why you're going to combat that. And I think we want to start in this position because we want to support the stoppage. And that's the reason why we want to do that. From that position, when the balls bounce, you play footy. Mm. You do what your instincts tell you to do. If you think you can go over there and win the footy, go and win the football. If you think you can you know, drop back and take a mark in front of their key forward, you do that. Yeah. Um, but there is a... Sometimes it's hard for young guys to come in and, and understand that there's a bit of an X marks a spot at the start yep. and then draw the line to, to then go and play on instinct can be a little challenging, um, but it's something that comes with the experience as well. Yeah. They learn that pretty quick. Good. Oh, I wouldn't mind just changing tack now and having a, a sort of getting a view on leadership groups. That seems to be a um, you know a relatively new thing over the last ten or fifteen years in in footy clubs. How important do you think they are, and what's the role of a leadership group in this club? I think they're vital um, for any football club to to implement um, you know plans and tools for success. I mean the job of a leadership group is to um, create, I mean, the goal's there to win a premiership, yeah. but how do we get there? 
and the leadership group is on the is the managers who are on the floor at the time um, implementing plans that are set by themselves and and, and higher levels of management um, to be able to get to winning a premiership. Um, and I think without leadership groups, individuals. I mean, you'd probably still even have leadership groups without the title yeah. because there's certain specific leaders in groups. People just attract to different people um, for good or bad reasons. You want them to be good reasons in footy clubs. Yeah. Um, so if you didn't have uh, structured leadership groups, you would you'd have a very similar setup unofficially yeah. with four or five guys, six, seven guys, however many you think are required who would be doing exactly the same thing as what's been done now um, in, in footy clubs. If you had to sort of split the time that you spend in a percentage um, sort of manner between the, the time the leadership spends on on-field stuff, so talking about what you're going to do on the field versus what you're doing off the field, what would it be? Probably 50-50. Okay. Um, on-field is important, um, obviously. It's very important. Yeah. Um, but to be able to execute on-field, a heap of planning and preparation is done off-field. Mm. Uh throughout the week and essentially everything we do at the football club is to help us perform in that two hours on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon and I think it's important to know that the five guys the four guys we've got in our leadership group now um, we put a lot of time in away from the club and and at the club off field um, to help guys improve as people and as players but to also help us win footy games and i think the 50 50 it's probably more 60 40 off field to on field yeah because it's only two hours on field mm. the rest of it's done off field and there's probably i don't know 10 hours during the week that you're probably doing things yeah that might be leadership related for throughout the week so one of the things that you know a leadership group does is there's lots of difficult issues that sort of fall on on the leadership group and one of them um that i reckon is a very interesting space is disciplining your teammates and that's probably become that that's grown in over time and in in a lot of respects um you know the leadership groups are now doing this role for the club how, how do you feel about taking on that role and if if you think it's the right way forward how do you actually go about disciplining a teammate it's challenging i mean um the great challenge for leadership is to be respected over liked and that's um a lot of young guys have that conflict of, you know, all the boys like me. It's great. It's yeah. fun. You know, we're having a great time. It's all good. Um, but there's a difference between being respected and being liked. And I think you know when you've got the respect of your teammates, uh, when you can hold them accountable to something. Um, and it doesn't have to be disciplined in them, but, yeah. but just on the field, you've done something wrong and you let them know and they understand and they, they acknowledge it and they say, yep, no worries, and vice versa. And they can do that to you and and you can acknowledge that for them. Um, I think that's a, it's a great position to be in in a footy club to be able to give feedback to each other and everyone can accept it and, and move forward. And I think every footy club's doing it really well at the moment. That's yeah. where footy's gone over yeah. the last 20 years. Um, but in terms of disciplining you know players it is a challenge um and we work pretty closely with our coach and and footy director and, and manager and um when it comes to off-field you know incidents and all that sort of stuff um but it's more around ensuring the educational pieces are all done prior to that so that those mistakes don't happen for a start because yeah. you want to minimize anyone ever stuffing up on the footy off the footy field especially on the footy field you don't want players stuffing up off the footy field you don't want players stuffing up um and you want to make sure that as we said, the planning and preparation for that 
is done as best as possible so leave no stone unturned in the preparation for players you know understanding policies and procedures and what's expected of them to, to play AFL off field on field their whole lives so that they don't even put themselves in the situation because any issue is avoidable at any at any time as you know very well um <laughs> And if you're going to try and get those boys to avoid those issues, it helps everyone. Um, but at times, it you know mistakes happen, um, and it is a challenge to discipline them. But I think if the education's done beforehand and they know that they've stuffed up, yeah. um, it's generally an easy conversation because they're trying to get that respect back as quick as possible. Mm. Do you think oh, this is a bit of a hobby horse of mine? And I'll and I'll bring you into this and answer it if you if you want to. Uh, do, do you think the sort of balance has gone a little bit too far with respect to? Um, when we do seek to take action against a player for a, you know, a disciplinary breach of some sort, that we've almost become too worried about what it looks like and appeasing the, the fans and the media versus, OK, what are we actually trying to achieve here? We, they're, they're generally good people, the players, and young men make mistakes from time to time. So is it about modifying their behaviour going forward so we don't have repeat, of, you know, repeat issues? Or is it about appeasing... Um, I suppose the, the general public so that we're seen to be tough on an issue oh, to be totally honest I don't really care what the public think I think it's it's more around <clears throat> ensuring that that individual knows that they've done the wrong thing and two behavioural change is the key and that's the most important because if you take away or you take the statistics from males from 18 to 30 who stuff up in the general public to what it is in the AFL I'm guaranteeing you it's a lot less than the AFL um, and boys will make mistakes because they're young, inexperienced, judgment calls, errors, whatever you like to call it, they're, they're going to be mistakes, they're going to be made. But my old man always told me, if you make a mistake, make sure you learn from it, you don't make it twice. And I think that's a pretty important thing for footballers because essentially you only get one crack at your AFL career. Mm. And if you make a big enough mistake first up, it might cost you your career. Yeah. And if you don't understand that and you make two mistakes and three mistakes and four mistakes, then you might not be deserving of a career. Yep. Um, but most of the time, the guys are, are really good kids who do make a mistake and it's a genuine mistake and they're very remorseful for it and you, you'll see that they won't make another one because mm. they learn from it. And it might not be because of the punishment, but, but two, because they've had it explained to them in no certain terms that the opportunity you got to play for footy is one that could set your whole life up and your families and, and take you on a journey that is amazing um, and you could lose it like that as well. So I think... I think behavioural change is most important in that instance. Mm. Uh, sort of a follow-on to that question, and I think this, even in my sort of three and a half years um, at the PA, I think you know, this issue of mental health has become a, you know, a, a really big issue. I think it's growing every year. And part of this, I think, is about the pressure that's put on the players to perform, you know, selection, injuries expectations around how they behave etc how do you go about creating that sort of good safe environment or culture at a time where sort of players are never more scrutinized than than they are now it's it is a challenge um Marsh. i think this day and age players don't get away with anything without being put under the microscope and that's true on the field and off the field um especially on the field like you'll see how many football programs are there on a Monday, Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, Thursday night, it's full. It's a full ball. And if there's nothing breaking news, they'll make something breaking news or put some vision clip of someone doing something somewhere that they don't have any regard for the impact that has on the player or the individual. Yeah. Um, and I understand we, we all sign up for that as players and, and that's why we all get paid well. Um, but to create a 
uh, a culture at the club of of understanding whose opinions matter i think is the key and for us it's people inside our four walls and as cliched as that is and people hate hearing that but you learn really quickly who your mates are in footy and they're the guys who you play with and they coach you and, and have your best interests at heart um everyone else i mean you learn really quickly that the bloke patting you on the back one week with the bloke pegging you down a level the next week and the sooner you learn that the less you buy into it yeah. and I think that's a great skill to learn straight off the bat is that you don't buy into much else outside of your own four walls of your footy club because um, the old model of, as I said before you're not going as well as you think you are and you're never going as bad as you think you are is, is one that rings really true um, How and, long did it take you to learn that? Uh, probably five or six years yeah. probably yeah five years I think um, it was Probably a form slump put through the media. You're realizing that you think you question yourself a lot, and um, hearing that you know the coach, fellow players have all got belief in you as a player individually and what you stand for. Yeah. I think you realize, yeah, they're my mates. They're the people who I listen to and I care for. They care for me, obviously, and they're the ones that matter. And when you come out of that, you never look back. It's it's pretty powerful when you do that, and. I've seen other guys do it as well, come through that and think, yeah, yeah, now we know. Now you've sort of like matured. I think that's the yeah. point where you mature a little bit and you mature as a footballer. And then after that, when you play bad to when you play well, you used to play well and you'd be on top of the world. You play poorly, you don't want to show your face in public. And then when you mature as a footballer, I think you're, you're a little bit more consistent throughout the weeks mm. and um, that helps with your football as well. As an AFL footballer and a high-profile one, are you, um, do you get out and about... Like, do you find yourself having to sort of stay at home more than the average person or are you just embracing what life's about and, you, you know, you, you don't hold yourself back from anything? Um, well, it's it's probably a little positive thing that you play at North Melbourne and you're not as high profile <laughs> as, um, as some of the clubs. So uh, we don't have too much to worry about in, in that aspect. But, I mean, throughout footy season, it's your life is a little compromised. I mean, um, we work every weekend in footy season and yeah. that's our job um play sunday i mean you don't really have much of a weekend because you train saturday saturday night you don't want to do too much because you don't want to ruin your preparation for sunday by the time you finish your game sunday it's seven o'clock sunday night and you're too tired to do anything and then you get the days off throughout the week all your family's got to work and stuff so it is a little bit compromised through that time but i mean i wouldn't change it for the world i love what i do mm-hmm. i love playing footy um it's the best job in the world and i don't see it really as a it's not a sacrifice. I see it as a choice. Yep. I don't have to do it. I could quit and go and be a normal bloke if I wanted to, but I want to do what I do and I want to um, play footy with the blokes I play footy with and, and try and win a flag because that's what um, we do best. Yeah. One of the questions I've asked all the guys is, you know, from, from my perspective, AFL players as a general group are incredibly impressive people and the captains are right at the top of that list. We've, we've touched on business a little bit today, but what do you think that business leaders can learn from an AFL captain? Um, I think business guys who, um, they're obviously at the top of their industry as well and they're probably really impressive in a lot of ways, but I think what the AFL world does really well, and as I said before, is that we're dealing with a lot of highly motivated people to start with, which helps. But by building relationships with those people to an intense degree, I think the performance you get out of those guys is is unreal mm. because you've got that connection with them. And because it's like we're out in, in the trenches with these guys every day as a captain, um, it's hard for managers who sit in a different office off the floor 
um, you know, completely different role to, to what some of their employees have to have that relationship with those guys. But I mean, f- for coaches and players to have that relationship where you can talk about anything whenever at any stage um, to, you know, go out for dinner with teammates and not think twice about it. Uh, I think on field, you know, what you're going to get. If, if I ask the teammate to do something for me, they're going to do it vice versa. If they ask me to do something, I'll just do it because you've got that relationship with them. And it's built over time and it's built over, you know, shit times and good times. You endure a lot in throughout a footy club and um, you get challenged a lot. And when you come through those challenges together, it builds that, you know, relationship a little stronger. And um, the more relationships you can have with, you know, people inside your footy club and the stronger you can build them, I mean, that's just going to create, you know, a bond that's going to help hopefully take you where you want to go. Mm. Yeah, good answer. Um I've got a few more questions to, just to get through. Um, I'm keen to, for you to tell me, how would you like to be remembered from a leadership perspective? I mean, cast your mind forward and you've you know, just played your 400th game and you've been in charge for 15 years. 400's gone. Three premierships. Um, yeah, like, what's, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, I think uh, as a guy who um, would do anything for his teammates, um, who ultimately cared for his mates a lot, uh, and someone who put the team above all else, I think, would be the, the three main things. And um, that's what you sort of base your leadership style around, I suppose, a little bit, is that there's no individual greater than the team. And, and for us at North Melbourne, like we've inherited our culture off the past generations, and it's now in our possession. How can we enhance that culture for the next generation to be able to grab and enhance it again? And we... My fear would be to, to be captain of the footy club and let the culture down and leave it in a worse position than what it was when I first got it. So um, for me to be able to you know, become captain of our football club, it's up to myself, our fellow leaders and our current list at the time to be able to enhance the culture of our footy club and leave our footy club in a better position than when we grabbed it. And whether that is through winning three premierships and um, doing everything you can do on the field or whether it's just you know doing the best you can with the situation you've got, at least you know that you've done the right thing for your footy club. And I think that's probably the biggest thing for, for me. And to be remembered as an honest, you know, hardworking footballer that would do anything for his mates and put the team first, I think would be, be nothing more I'd want. Outstanding. I'm going to ask you um, two personal questions and then I'm going to get into, uh, just to finish off with our fast five, which we've done with all the captains. Um, I heard a little rumour the other day that when Sean Higgins was knocked out that, um, that when he came to, you convinced him he'd, um, he'd had twins. Any truth to that? No truth. I actually made that <laughs> up in a media conference. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether Higo would have heard that, but he did. And he, um, he didn't ask me about it, but I think he, he, he sort of giggled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> the second one, this has actually come from your teammate, and I'm going to dog him in, Jamie McMillan. Snitch. says that you, um, you regularly moisturise your pasty white skin. Is there any truth to that? <laughs> There is, yes. Um, <laughs> I am not one bit tanned, and if you've got dry skin, you're even in a lighter shade of white, <laughs> if that's possible. So I share your pain, don't worry. <laughs> um, all right, we'll finish off with the fast five. So this is, these are questions I've been asking everyone, and I, um, I'm keen to get your honest, um, but sort of first thought answers on this. Who's the captain that you most admire in the AFL? I think there's probably two. Uh, Joel Selwood. Yep. Um, for his ability to stand up in big games, I think just consistently gets it done yep. no matter what. Um, his accolades take care of themselves. Another one, a little bit left field, is Callum Ward. I just have not seen him put a foot wrong yep. since he's gone up to GWS. 
um, and what a slight the way he goes about it. Love both, watching him. Both pretty similar in the way they attack the ball mm. as yourself. What about sort of more generally the player that you most admire in the AFL? Um, I think um, for different reasons, but Dustin Martin, yep. um, to be able to, to block out external noise and get it done the way he's done over the last 12 months, mm. I think has been fascinating to watch. Um, his football ability obviously takes care of itself, but, yep. but what he went through last year in terms of contract negotiations and the year he put together to do it all and win a flag, which I think he'd hold the highest on his mental base, yep. um, was phenomenal to watch. I've got great admiration for that. Did you get to know him during that period? And if so, did, is there something that you sort of learned from from him in watching him do that? No, not really. I didn't really see him through, through much throughout that period. But I think um, I know a few people that do know him. Um, and to, see him, to, to hear that he did not change one bit yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Um, lesser people would change when they've done what he's done. But I admire the fact that he doesn't give a shit about much like outside of footy he loves his footy club and his teammates yeah. but all the external stuff he's got no interest in and yeah. that's that's awesome to say yeah if you weren't playing for brad scott and you obviously clearly have a fantastic relationship there which coach would you most like to pay, play for probably chris scott because i reckon he's pretty similar to brad <laughs> yeah, he set you up with that one um they are pretty similar who's your funniest teammate funniest teammate um it used to be Nathan Grimer, but he's not here anymore. I'd probably have to say Jared Waite. He's a 16-year-old mind in a 35-year-old body. Yeah, he's not very mature. <laughs> All right, last question. Um, what advice would you give to an AFL captain who's about to embark on his first season in charge? Um, probably don't try and do too much. Um, and get help from your teammates like your, your other leaders and lean on them um, because they're all going to be very well skilled leaders in AFL footy clubs all leadership group members I would have thought uh, are well equipped to help uh, their captains and um, also build strong relationships with your players but also your coach because essentially you're going to work pretty closely with your coach and um, you're going to direct your football club forward with him and um, if you can try and do all that it will ultimately hopefully make your first year as captain a good one Zeebs, so thank you very much for your time this afternoon uh, and congrats on what's been a great start of the season. Um, really great insight for me this afternoon. And um, yeah, I so said, appreciate your time. Thanks, Marshy. Thanks for having me.